Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is November 14th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. Welcome to another edition of the Bruins Beat. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy, here. And lots to talk about, of course, in, uh, when it comes to the Boston Bruins these days. And we're going to bring on, uh, someone I'm sure a Bruins fans know from all their time watching the Bruins, both as a play-by-play man, as an in-studio host. He's done it all when it comes to the Boston Bruins. And that's Dale Arnold of Nesson joining me right now. Dale, how are you? Jimmy, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. And, uh, before we get into talking a little bees, um, You've got a, a a nice potential Christmas present out there for all Bruins fans right now, and it's called "If These Walls Could Talk." Boston Bruins stories from the Boston Bruins ice locker room and press box, and you know, let, let's talk about this quickly. How did this come about, Dale? And, and exactly what is it about? Give it, give the readers a little insight here. You know, I, I had had it in my head for a number of years now, twenty years now. I I'd always wanted to write a book. Didn't really know how to get it started. Didn't really know, you know, what the process was. And all of a sudden, uh, two springs ago, uh, I get contacted by Triumph Books. They have this whole series of books, if these walls could talk, from all the different pro sports leagues and different teams. And a guy named Bill Ames said, would you be interested in writing a book for us? Well, I was thrilled. I jumped at the chance. They, uh, they said, we're going to assign a writer to you, Matt Kalman. And generally the way these books work is like I would do interviews with Matt Kalman and he would go back and, and write the whole thing. Well, I made it clear to Bill Ames at Triumph and to Matt right off the bat, I don't want to write a book. And I was going to write this book. And, and I wrote every word, shipped it off to Matt, and he helped edit it and made suggestions. Hey, maybe you need to tell this. Maybe you need to do that. Uh, but I set about wanting to write it, did write it, all 80,000 words of it, submitted it. And now I get to look at it in the bookstores. <laughs> what is that like? I mean, it, it, to see that. It's a, it, I got to admit it's weird, probably because right. I've always wanted to do it. Uh-huh. Um, somebody sent me a photo, I don't know, 10 days ago or so, and it was from the uh, the bookstore at my alma mater at Bowdoin College. And they have um, a, a shelf for Bowdoin authors. And my son has a book there. Uh, he's a stats professor at the University of Richmond, wrote a statistics textbook. And somebody sent me a photo of his book and my book next to each other oh, that's on the cool. Bowdoin author's shelf. And that's the first time I had seen it anywhere. I happened to walk into the Barnes & Noble in Bellingham a week or so ago, and it was sitting there on the shelf. And I didn't even know it was there. So the first time, it kind of caught my breath a little bit. And 
I, I really truly do hope that people read it because I think they're going to, even Bruins fans, as knowledgeable as they are, I think they're going to learn some stuff they don't know. Of course, I imagine so. You know, and, and Dale, I, I, you know, I've been covering the team for a while now too, and um, I've always wanted, I, I, I plan to eventually do the same thing and, and hopefully get together, uh, you know, all my little stories here and there. But my issue that I, when I start to think about it, my issue is always, well, how do you bring it together? How do you link it? How do you, how do you convey, you know, the chronological part of it and you know, what do you leave in? What do you leave out? I mean, what was that part of writing like for you? Yeah, I started out with a list of, of topics and people that it was important to me that you include. I wanted to keep, I wanted to keep it fairly topical, fairly current, but you can't write any book about the Bruins and not include Bobby Orr. Uh, <laughs> so I did include Bobby, obviously, but I didn't, you know, I didn't include Milt Schmidt and I didn't go back to, to Johnny Busick and some of those days. Uh, but, you know, I did include Terry O'Reilly, for instance, because guys like Ray Bork and others said to me, he was the best coach I ever played for. Really? So I felt it was important to talk to him. Oh, he loved him, loved playing for him. And, uh, you know, there were people that I, that I wanted to talk to. I had a list. Every single person that I asked said yes. But there was also a common theme where, you know, I would talk to guys like, like Sean Thornton and Patrice Bergeron and Zdeno Chara and others. And almost to a man, every one of them said, you've got to talk to Andrew Ferentz. You can't do this if you don't talk to Andrew Ferentz. So I ended up getting a hold of him. And, and about halfway through our hour-long conversation, I thought they were right. I couldn't write this without talking to Andrew Ferentz. So he got <laughs> added to the list, and it just sort of went from there. And, and when you talk, you, you have an hour-long conversation with him there. And I'm sure you had some other extended conversations to research the book as well and to convey into the book for stories. But when you you sit back after that conversation, what are you trying to pull out of it to include in the book? Like, are there certain things you're you're keeping your ear open for as you're talking to him? Yeah, and and you know there are certain pieces that I pulled out. For instance, there's a whole chapter in the book called Patriots Day, and it's about obviously the day of the the marathon bombings here and the week after the marathon bombings. And so when I would talk to uh, let's say Patrice Bergeron for his chapter, mm-hmm. I would pluck out the things that had to do with Patriots Day and I would hold them off separately. The same with Sean Thornton, you know, the same with others. And, and you know, maybe I had, a, I, I had a chapter in mind on tough guys. And so I would pull things out in these conversations and keep them. I mean, when I talked to PJ Stock, it was for that chapter. But, you know, when I talked to Sean Thornton, it was about a whole bunch of things, but stuff that belonged in that chapter as well. You know, one thing I've always loved about my job is obviously you get interviewing players and stuff, but when the, when the tape recorder stops, or probably the iPhone now, right? I'm, I'm showing my age here. Um, but when that stops and, and, you know, they're off air, so to speak, and you're just kind of shooting the breeze with them, talking hockey, whether it's a current event or whether it's, it's something in the past, that's, you know, that's the stuff I'd love to convey and, and get out there into a book deal, but how, when, and I'm sure that was kind of the case with you as well, but how do you determine, you know, okay, this stays off the record, this is on, and other, other than asking them, how do you just determine what needs to be out there? My simple rule was is if, if I was recording, it was to use. Right. Uh, if, before I started recording or when I turned the recorder off, I'd have to ask for permission before I'd use that That's stuff exactly because right. I think there's a trust yeah. factor. Yep. You know, they know. If they see the recorder running, they know that it's on the record. Right. And, 
and they were very clear about that. You know, if if it had to change for any reason, well, then I'd have to look at it differently. Yeah, for sure. Did you find when you were doing the interviews for this book um, that they were different than when you're doing the interviews on TV? Did you find more of a, oh, yeah. a comfort zone, a kind of hanging out, sitting at the pub, talking hockey type atmosphere? Absolutely, and that's kind of what I was going for. You know, the very first interview that I did for the entire book was Patrice, and it was, you know, during the summer, it was off-season. Yeah, I think he was in Quebec at the time when we talked, and, you know, that changes things, and, you know, he sounded much more relaxed, much more, you know, non-seasonal type, and, and right. I loved the conversation. Now, when I, when I interviewed Zidano, uh, I went up to him in the locker room one day, told him what I was doing, told him what I was interested in. And he said, oh, absolutely. I, I, I would love to talk to you for this. And I said, well, can we set up a time to do it? And he said, how about right now? <laughs> and, you know, we, we, we went out of the locker room into another part of the building. And oh, we sat awesome. down and just talked for an hour. And, you know, so it did vary off season, in season, near the locker room, you know, on the phone when they're at home. But I think the, the general feel for all those guys was pretty similar. Yeah. And it's great. It's, it's great when you can get them kind of talking in that manner and, and just telling stories or, you know, it could be anything, uh, maybe not hockey related. I mean, I had, a, um, I think it was in training camp. I was talking to him about his sudden desire to be on Instagram and, and connect with the fans. And it was just, it was really interesting listening to him tell me why he decided to do it and how much he really enjoyed that. You know, he's like, look, do I love social media? I probably don't like it more than I like it because of all the downfalls of it. But this is one thing where I see an opportunity to kind of pay back the fans and, and, and let them feel like, you know what, we're cheering for this team. We're also a part of this team. And I thought it was really cool the way he kind of just looked at it from a different perspective. And that's the stuff too. I mean, Dale, I don't know if you've covered other, other sports through your career. I'm sure you have, but, and I'm sorry if I'm a little partisan here, but I just think hockey players are the best when it comes to stuff like that. Are you in agreement well, with any me? Of us who, yeah, any of us who have been around the game feel the same way. Now, in, in my situation, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have been able to do play-by-play for all five teams in town. So I've been able to deal with athletes from all of them at various times. Hockey players are easily the, the easiest to deal with. And I'm not trying to say that football players are jerks or basketball players are jerks. That's not my point at all. Hockey players are just a little more grounded, a little more level-headed, a, a lot easier to deal with generally. And, you know, like when I told Patrice that I wanted to, to talk to him from the, for the book, he gave me a cell phone number and he said, here, call me when you're ready. Now, that's probably not going to happen if I'm dealing with a member of the Patriots or a member oh, of the right. Celtics or something yeah. like that. Yeah, for sure. I'm with you on that. And speaking of Patrice, um, you know, I, we both had the pleasure of covering him and getting to know him over the years. You Did you ever get this uh, deal with John Rattel at all? I, I've met him uh, on a number of occasions. I don't want to make it sound like we've had this lengthy professional relationship because we, we didn't. But I know what you're saying. You know, yeah, very so elegant, exactly. very gentlemanly. Yeah, and that's the comparison that I get. You know, I am I'm close with Russ Conway and some older writers, and they always point he's the modern-day John Rattel. You know, and I, I actually, when I was in Montreal, um, Dale, when I was up there for two years working, I got a chance a couple times to just shoot the breeze with uh, Jean Beliveau, which was something else. You know, you're sitting there, and you're like, is this really happening? I mean, this guy's a legend. And just talking general hockey with him and life downstairs, outside the dressing room, 
and he kind of reminded me of Patrice. I, I I don't know why. I just I, I sensed a little, you know, like I could see a, a a parallel there. I mean, I don't know if I'm off on that. He's beyond my time, but it was just amazing to see. And I, I'm kind of like, this is going to be Patrice Bergeron 15, 20 years from now down the line. Well, and there was a there was a point in in doing the book uh, when Sean Thornton said to me very sincerely, he said, Patrice Bergeron is the only hockey player I've ever had who I wouldn't mind if he dated my sister. <laughs> and, and he was and he was dead serious when he said it. Yeah, that's great. And he's a character he said, himself, eh? He's the star of the book. Oh my gosh! I mean, truthfully, um, I, he's the star of the book. Um, I, I remember he said to me, we were talking about, you know, Mark Savard and, and Matt Cook. Uh-huh. And, and he said, I'm going to tell you what happened, but I'm going to tell you that I've never told this before. And he gave me all the details and, and told me exactly what went on. And when he finished, I said, are you sure you want me to use this? He said, yep. Tell it just like I just said it. Oh, that's great. And I do. And people will probably be surprised when they hear it or when they read it. Uh, but it's just one of the many things. I mean, the the Boston Marathon weekend and the aftermath of that yeah. and his hospital visits to Jeff Bowman and others. He, and like I said, he well, he and Tom McVie are probably the two stars of the book. Mm-hmm. And if we if I was to if I was to write a book on you, Dale Arnold, uh, what if you could pinpoint it? What would be one of your favorite memories of either just doing the job or just being a fan of the Bruins and the history that you've encountered during your lifetime? Well, ironically, um, one of the fondest memories I have was also one of the most painful. It was June 15, 2011. Uh, the Bruins have just won the Stanley Cup. Um, I'd been fired from my radio job, and I'm doing Red Sox games because they're trying to figure out a way to keep paying me. And they had to pay me anyway, but figure out things for me to do. So June 15th, 2011, I'm calling a Red Sox Tampa Bay Rays game in in Tampa Bay, Florida, watching Josh Beckett throw a one hitter that no one knows anything about. Uh, the game ends. They had set up a monitor for me in the booth so that I could watch the Bruins. The game ends. I go down to the clubhouse and the whole team is clustered around TVs and they're watching the game and cheering. The second period ends. Everybody rushes out to the buses. They hop on the buses and they race back to the hotel. As we get, as we pull up to the hotel, Kevin Euclid yells, guys, guys, you gotta let Dale get off first. This means more to him than it does to us. Uh. I get off the bus. They've got the whole lobby bar blocked off for the Red Sox. And they're all standing around cheering their lungs out for the third period. As the final horn sounds and the Bruins win the Stanley Cup, the bartender sets a big goblet of red wine in front of me. And I said, I didn't order this. And he said, no, that gentleman did. And I look, and Tim Wakefield's got his glass up in the air and and tipping it to me. That's great. They understood what it meant for me to see it. And I think they also understood that it was killing me that I was watching it in a lobby bar in Tampa, Florida, and not out in Vancouver. That's great. Hey, class move by Wake there. Yeah, I'll tell you, yep. Dale, quick story. I was there, um, and, you know, they come out. I don't know if you've ever covered the, the potential clinching. Well, you would have been in the, down in the studio, but they come around the press box when it's a, when it's a potential clincher in the third period, and they say, look, um, 
you know, and obviously game seven is going to be a clincher. They said that only TV credentials will be allowed in a locker room celebration. So at the time I'm working for ESPN Boston. Yes, technically ESPN is TV, but I'm on the writing side. So I'm like, well, that rules me out, but it was great. I'm not complaining. I got down on the ice. It's a, it's a memory, one of my best memories, if not the best of my writing career, of a treasure. But then I found out that they ended up letting a bunch of writers in. And, you know, so Hag- Joe Haggerty comes up, and he's just drenched. And I said, wait, where were you? And he said, oh, I was in a locker room. Why weren't you there? You missed it. It was. I said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> but I'm not complaining. I was there after what I just heard you tell. I am not complaining. And that's that's a great story there by Wake. Well, I'll tell you guys, I have been enjoying some great reading. Honestly, I feel like I'm back to those days lately when uh, I was reading stories that inspired me to get a journalism degree at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and to get into hockey media and write the stories that the likes of, you know, a Kevin Paul DuPont or a Michael Farber um, or even a Pat Hickey, who I get to I get to mingle with all these people now in the press box, uh, being in the game now for 17 years. But when I was young, late high school, college, coming up the ranks, you know, I miss the stories that gave you insight. I miss the stories that you could sit down on a Sunday, kick back with a coffee and enjoy, or the ones you could sit in a pub, enjoy a nice tall pint of Guinness, and just uh, get into a story, feel connected to it, want to know what's going to happen next, and not just these quick 140 characters or these quick videos or these quick blurbs. I love all that, and I, I think it's great. And, I, it, you know, that is the way journalism is going right now. But I still think there's room for the type of stories I'm talking about. And you can find those types of stories at The Athletic. All right? Joe McDonald, Flutishan Zauer, two friends of mine, two colleagues, worked with them on the Bruins beat for a long time now, two of the best in the biz. They write for The Athletic Boston, covering the Boston Bruins, the NHL. And uh, they're worth, well worth reading and getting a subscription to The Athletic. And let me tell you about The Athletic right now. The Athletic is a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans. The model is simple. No ads, no pop-ups, and no autoplay videos. Instead, read and subscribe for authentic, in-depth coverage written by journalists who know their teams inside and out. And that is Fluto Shinzauer and Joe McDonald. Coverage will go beyond game recaps and trade speculation to provide smarter analysis and a deeper perspective about teams and the league. Subscribers have access to local and national content with more than 650 to 700 new stories published every week across all sports. I want you to go right now and just give it a whirl, okay? Because you can't beat the steal I'm about to give you right now, all right? Go to theathletic.com slash Bruinsbeat, all right? And you're going to get 40% off for $2.99 a month. $2.99 a month. For the athletic right now. And like I said, it's great in-depth coverage of the Bruins and the NHL. You want to go there right now. Again, theathletic.com slash Bruinsbeat and use the code Bruinsbeat. Again, use the code Bruinsbeat to get $2.99 a month for some of the best writing and best reading in hockey media right now. Theathletic.com and theathleticboston.com. Check it out. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing dirt on it than seeing a doctor. I'm guilty of that myself. And you know what? 
The same goes true for erectile dysfunction. Hey, look, guys, you might think sometimes you maybe had a, too many wines, you know, you got stress in your mind or what have it. And that's why, uh, that's why the little guy there isn't up to the task sometimes. But you know what? That's why you need to check out Roman. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to get checked out by a doctor and get treated for ED online. Man, it's so much better than going to CVS or to your own doctor and all that stuff to pick up. Just online is such the way to go. But anyways, let let me get back to telling you about Roman. Roman is a one-stop shop where licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medication right to your door. Again, you don't have that awkward... uh wait in line in CVS and they get up there and the lady says, Oh, is this your Viagra? Huh? Okay. Is this your Roman? You know what? No, forget Viagra. They don't allow you to do this. Go with Roman. All right. Cause with what Roman, there's no waiting rooms, awkward face to face conversations or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. You can handle everything discreetly online. All you have to do is visit getroman.com slash B. Fill out a brief medical onboarding chat with a doctor and get FDA-approved ED meds delivered to your door in discreet, unmarked packaging. Man, that's better than turn around after that lady says that, right? Oh yeah, is this is this your Roman here? Is this your is this your uh, erectile dysfunction medicine? And the whole place is just looking at you, smirking. Yeah, you don't need to deal with that with Roman. You just go online right now and get checked by the doctor. Erectile dysfunction is a problem that guys don't tackle. But with Roman, it's really easy to take care. So do it right now, all right? For a free online visit, go to roman.com slash B. That's roman.com slash B for a free online visit and use the code BruinsB. Okay, Dale, let's switch to current times right now with the Boston Bruins. And it's been a interesting season to say the least. And you know, you look at the, the standings right now, and I mean, it's early yet. We're, we're approaching the quarter mark, but I mean, the record's not that bad. They're 10-5-2 with 22 points. Um, they're in the third slot in the Atlantic Division, and they've sort of been kind of bouncing in and out of those wild-card spots uh, or even into the second slot in the Atlantic. And yet, I, I don't know about you, but you, you, open, you, you put on your computer, you look on your computer, you look on social media, or you read some stories, and it feels like the sky is falling. And then the whole Tukaraz situation happens, and it's just an an awkward feeling right now around the team. I don't know how to put it into words, but what's been your take on this season so far? I, I think that Bruins fans are pretty smart as we've, as we've discussed. And uh, they know that, you know, the record's good, you know, but they're kind of sort of doing it with smoke and mirrors right now. Mm-hmm. They're doing it without their number one goaltender being their number one goaltender. They're doing it basically with one unbelievable line and a great power play. And Krejci's now starting to contribute pretty significantly as well. Huge. You know, they know that they've been missing people. They started the season without Tory Krug. They're missing Charlie McAvoy now. Uh, so I, I think they feel that there are still some holes here. And the record's good, but they want to see everything put together and things starting to click on, on a more regular basis. And, you know, when you look at what ha- the Tukaras situation, we won't get into what, you know, good for him. He, he took some time away. He seems... He's telling us that he's okay, and I hope he really is. But the goaltending situation, I want to stick to the stuff on the ice, and you mentioned that he's not playing like a number one. Halak is. And, you know, I wish I had followed up and, and asked him to clarify, but um, we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, the 13th, and 
you know, Bruce Cassidy after practice before they took off for Colorado, he was kind of asked the same thing I just asked you. And he mentioned the goaltending. He said, well, we're lucky we have a good backup too. But in my head, I'm wondering, I mean, is he referring to Halak or is he referring to Tuka? No, he's referring to Halak. And, you know, Halak signed here as the backup. Yeah. You know, you don't have to just look at the paycheck to understand who's the starter and who's the backup. Now, the difference here is that for the first time in Tuka's career, he's got legitimate competition for that starting job. I mean, all due respect to Anton Hudobin yeah. and, and others, none of them were legitimate competition to take the job away from Tuka Rask. This guy is. This guy has played 60 games for the Montreal Canadiens. You know, he's only two years older than Tuka. Uh, you know, he played 50-some-odd games last year for the New York Islanders. Mm-hmm. So this guy could be the number one. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm just wondering, do, do you see, I mean, if he continues to play this way, it, is it going to sort of just evolve into the situation where he is? Or are they going to, do the Bruins kind of put on the, this public face that say, you know, it's a 1A and it's a 1B. Are they going to continue to say that or are just going to let the play dictate itself? My guess is, based on how, how Bruce Cassidy runs his team, he's going to play the guy who he thinks gives him the best chance to win. Yeah. That's um, if, if that means Halak plays three out of four, Halak's going to play three out of four. Now, remember last year when Hudobin had the hot November and Tuka didn't start very well, and fans were saying, oh, we got a new starting goaltender here. And then when he had to play a lot, the wheels kind of fell off the wagon. Right. I'm not suggesting that would happen with Halak. I'm just saying we've seen this sort of thing before, and we've seen that ultimately – you know, the backup goes back to being the backup and the starter goes back to being the starter. Right. I want to ask you, too, just your take. I mean, you're right we've seen this thing before, and I actually was discussing this with Tuca a couple weeks ago, and this has been not just last year. I mean, for the last five years, he hasn't been above 500 in October, Uh, and then he gradually finds his way, and by December he's motoring along. And I mean, you look at what he did. I think it was from maybe the third week of November on to the end of the season. I, I don't have the exact numbers, but I want to say he was something like twenty-eight, six and two. I mean, it was unreal statistics. A really great goals against average and save percentage. So you're right; it happens all the time. But my wonder is, is the team reaching a point where they they can't have it happen all the time? And you know. What's their take on that? Like, you're paying this guy $7 million. You can't just pay him $7 million to not play well for the first month and a half. No, obviously you want him to play better. But I also know that, you know, you've got him signed to a contract that makes it difficult to do anything with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's got a list of eight teams that he could be traded to theoretically this year, and that list goes down a, a next year by a couple, something like that. But it's a contract that's difficult to move. Uh, I'm not saying they wouldn't. I'm not saying they couldn't. I'm just saying it would be hard, yeah. especially, you know, in a hard cap league. And I think chances are, are probably better than not that he's here, that, you know, you don't have many choices here. And if you've got him here and you've got an asset like that, I'm not saying, oh, he's making seven and a half million. He has to play because I don't right. think that's how Bruce operates. But I don't think you can just shuffle him off down the road either. Yeah, I'm with you on that. You know, as we were talking, as you were saying before about, he hasn't really been challenged this way. I mean, the only time I can remember him being challenged this way, and I can't recall if he was really the designated starter when they, they started the season in Prague, but that would be the cup year, Dale. I mean, he you got to remember, he was a starter the previous year, and, of course, they didn't do too well in that second round against Philadelphia, but they came into that season, if I recall, I mean, kind of a similar 1A, 1B type thing, and then, of course, Timmy Thomas just took off from there. 
Um, yep. And I, but I can't really, you know, I'm trying to draw some of my memory right now, how Tuca handled it. I don't remember him really making a fuss about it, but I'm, I'm wondering, you know, as this goes on, if it does become a point where it's clear that Yarrow's the number one guy and they're, they're playing him like a number one, are we worried that that's going to become an issue within the team? Well, I guess it's always a concern. You wonder how he'd handle things. Um, I, I, he's not stupid. As he said, you know, a week or so ago before he took his leave of absence, he said, Yarrow's playing better. He should play more right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he understands. He knows what he he's saying. He knows hockey better than we do. Uh, and he knows he's watching a goaltender who's really hot right now. Why the heck wouldn't you play him? Yeah, I'm with you on that. Hey, quickly before I let you go, and, you know, it could be old news in a couple of days, but they are going out to Colorado. We're seeing a matchup, and it's a great matchup for hockey fans. I know it's going to be late on the East Coast here, but you're looking at the two best lines in hockey, uh, Dale, and – you know, you look at this one on the Bruins that they have with Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak, and, I mean, I've covered them since 2001-02. I can't remember a line this great, and I'm talking this great two-way hockey. Um, is there a line that strikes you that comes out in your memory where you're like, these guys remind me of them, or is, is this the best Bruins line you've seen? Yeah, it is. Uh, and, you know, you, you, you like to hope it could stay this way. And as we're taping this thing, I, I think – I know Pasternak, you know, his 16 goals lead the NHL. But when I last checked, he was four ahead of anybody else in the league. Yeah, he is. He's got 16 goals in 17 games, uh, you know, you, you with Bergeron and Marchand. And I did the breakdown last week at one point. We broke down the Bruins' top line and Colorado's top line, which is really good, with Ranton and, and McKinnon and Landeskog. And we broke down the numbers, and ironically, at that point, they had both played 16 games. The Bruins' top line had just come off that game where they had the 10 points, yep. and their 10 points got them into a tie with the Colorado line with 64 points apiece. We don't see Colorado much. As you say, the games are on late and all that stuff. Let's not, let's not sleep on how good those guys are out there. No. I mean, they are really good. Now, where I think the Bruins' line has the advantage is in their own end of the ice. I think they're better defensively than the Colorado line is. I hope they go head-to-head on Wednesday night because I just would love to see the matchup of those two lines out there at the same time. Cassidy said the same thing in his press conference after practice on Tuesday. And it's funny you bring that up. You know, let's not sleep on how good they are. I was talking to Bergeron after practice, and, you know, he was pointing out, hey, guys, why are you all forgetting that they basically had their way with us two times within a week last year in the beginning of the season. If you remember, they played him, I think, on Columbus Day here in Boston, yep. and then they went out there like a week later and got beat again. And, and you guys were saying we were losing to a lesser team. And, you know, I was trying to tell you then, this this team's on the rise right now. And then, of course, they got even better uh, once they solved the Matt Duchesne situation and traded him. And, yeah, this is a fun team to watch. And I urge fans, I mean, if you can stay up late, watch them a little more often if you're a hockey fan. But this is one you want to stay up for. And, Dale, we will be watching on Ness and we'll be watching you. And uh, I thank you for taking the time. I wish you the best of luck with the book. Jimmy, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. For sure, my friend. We'll see you around the rink. You got it. Bye-bye. All right. That's Dale Arnold of Nesson joining me here. And, of course, the author of If These Walls Could Talk, Boston Bruins, stories from the Boston Bruins Ice Locker Room and Press Box. Get it right now. It's on Amazon. I'm about to order mine right now. Should be a great read. I'm Jimmy Murphy. This has been another edition of the Bruins Beat here on CLNS Media. We'll talk to you next week.